Life in all its myriad forms cover the jewel of the solar system, Earth. The planet we call home boasts an amazing array of flora and fauna, with the dominant species, us, perched atop the global food chain. But is that perch as secure as we believe it to be? And as we look down, do we truly see all that exists in the shadow of the pedestal of our own creation? Or does hubris blind us to that which we cannot easily see? There are those who say winged creatures glide through moonlit skies or glare from the darkness with crimson eyes. Are the plaster cast footprints filling display cases in museums around the globe proof of the existence of the creature indigenous people of North America named Sasquatch in bygone days? Or are they all part of an elaborate hoax perpetrated against an all too often gullible society? And are we justified in embracing the evidence of eyewitness accounts and other evidence, or equally justified in denying that any new thing could be discovered under the burning light of day or the cool rays of a full moon? Are cryptids such as Mothman and Bigfoot actual living creatures, or do they only haunt the fertile forests and fields that border the pathways leading through the shadows of legend? Hello, this is Charles Romans, your host for Shadows of Legend, and today we're speaking with Greg Smith from Georgia. He has a lot of experience with cryptids, so much so, in fact, that he started his own YouTube channel to record him searching for cryptids. So how are you doing today, Greg? Oh, I'm doing great. Just got off work, had dinner. Well, that's good. Unfortunately, uh, cryptids don't pay the bills. <laughs> no, <laughs> no it, it'd be nice Not if, yet. If, if Bigfoot would cover the electric bill or something like that, wouldn't it? Oh, Yeah. But like maybe Mothman could take over the uh, phone bill. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, so I guess, uh, and I, I, I say this all the time because it's true. The best place to start is always the beginning. So, when was the yep. first time you had brushes with cryptids or developed a serious interest? Well, it started back with the old version of the Unsolved Mysteries with the uh, Robert Shackner, the guy in the trench coat. Yes, he played the. Patterson, I always butcher this man's last name, but he played the footage of Patty, Patty they Patterson Gimlin filmed, right? Okay, yeah. On on the show, and that's how, and then that's how I got into Finn Bigfoot, and, other, and I started researching, like, holy crap, there's other cryptids out there. Cool. And uh, ever since then, I've had a passion for investigating, researching, but I was always just holding myself back for some unknown reason. I still didn't figure out why, but then I watched a show on Travel Channel called Mountain Monsters. It's these older fellas, all good old mountain fellas like me. Yeah, they're good guys. I've interviewed now, them. Now, by the time I saw. Oh, you have? Yes, I have. Yeah, I've had the pleasure of, of talking to them a couple times. And uh, as a matter of fact. Oh, I'm a just, huge fan of theirs. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah, they're they're great. And mm -hmm. we were talking about proof. I said, you know, people don't realize just because you haven't proven something exists doesn't mean you've proven that it doesn't. Oh, that's true. Because uh, uh, last year I did a lecture at the lo one of the local libraries here in my area in Ringgold, Georgia. Okay. And, uh. I was telling people, look, just because we don't know what's out there for sure don't mean it don't exist. And proof of that could be biblical snakes from back gorillas, kangaroos, uh, platypus. They all used to be uh, a cryptic creature until someone got off their butt, went out looking for the evidence, and then discovered the proof. This is true. I mean, typically what happens, you'll have a more, we'll say, technologically advanced society come into an area where people are less technologically advanced. And they'll start hearing yeah. these stories. Of, of things out in the woods or out in the jungle, something like that. And the more advanced yeah. people have a tendency to say, oh, that's, you're, you're just superstitious. That's 
You know, you're a still- good example of that very thing today is Makiluwambembe, a creature from Africa that the, the Syrians describe as a brontosaurus. Okay. They made a movie about it way back in the day called Baby the Dinosaur. I believe I remember that movie, yes. <laughs> that whole story is the story of Makiluwambembe. Well, you know, you imagine that. It's interesting. One of my favorite writers of all time is Edgar Rice Burroughs and uh, creator of Tarzan. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes. most Tarzan stories were standalone stories, but there were two that was tied together. And mm-hmm. in this, Tarzan, of course, is in Africa, and he manages to get through the Great Thorn Barrier into this area where there's still dinosaurs. And uh, the, the, yeah. fun, the funny thing I, about, I think I've read that one. I think I read that one. Well, you know, and, and Burroughs talks about these, these dinosaurs being, you know, of various colors. When for you, mm-hmm. scientists just said, oh, there was a slate gray or green or something like that. And then in yeah. recent memory, they've come around to thinking, well, you know, maybe they weren't just a, a uniform color as we thought they were. So it's interesting how fiction yeah. writers can often predict actual fact. If you want a good proof of science fiction becoming science fact, Star Trek. Yes. Or, I mean, come on, Captain Kirk and his communicator cell phones. Right. <laughs> or, uh, there's, there's a lot of discussion about whether in 2001 A Space Odyssey, the guy was actually using an iPad. Mm. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, actually, both they, that movie and the sequel are both good films. But now, that uh, that brings us back to, to cryptids, of course, how yes. perhaps one person understands something that another person doesn't. And you mentioned being interested in Unsolved Mysteries. Well, there's another show back around the same time, earlier than that, actually, called In Search Of. It was hosted by Leonard Nimoy. That's one of yes, the shows. Yes, I've, I've caught episodes of it, the In Search Of Sasquatch. Yeah. So these were the shows that kind of inspired you to get out and look for them, correct? Yeah. And then, uh, well, what, well, it got me interested. I just did research. And what got right. me out off my book, like I said, I have to give credit to the AIMS team for that one. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it, it took a while to gain traction, we'll say. Yeah, well, what, I mean, like, I don't went but through my military part of my life and everything came back, and I'm like, wait a minute. Why am I sitting on my butt while these guys are doing all the fun stuff? Well, there you go. If nothing <laughs> else, you get a nice walk out in the woods. Yeah, and that's always relaxing. Even if, I mean, uh, and everyone thinks that you have to be in these large, heavily wooded areas, and you don't. I have found Bigfoot evidence in the local battlefield. I have found tree structures and footprints in the local battlefield, which is surrounded by subdivisions. See, that's, that's, at the Chickamauga battlefield. That's very interesting because we do typically think of of something like Sasquatch being something out in the wilder parts of the world. Yeah, but but yeah. every now and then, if you go by most theorists of cryptozoology, a rogue or a outcast from the their tribe, whatever you want to call their group, okay, we'll find some place alone. And in the battlefield, there's deer, there's a food source, there's wild edibles growing out there. And there's a uh, creek, like Chickamauga Creek runs right through the park. There's a water source, and there's a small cave, there's shelter. Well, see, it would be a perfect habitat, one would think. Yeah. And, uh, of course, you can't discount uh, curiosity. A lot of people that have discussed uh, cryptids have, have indicated that they're very curious creatures. Oh, I agree. But, so, like you said, though, we can start back at the beginning. So I'm thinking, okay, let's start with something local. Something everyone around here in my area knows about. So that's when I started doing the research on a local creature called Old Green Eyes. Okay. You want to uh, explain that to the listeners so they'll have some background? Well, okay. Old Green Eyes is a creature or a, some sort of entity that inhabits the Chickamauga battlefield. But his thing, people are kept one theory is there's a soldier who died during the battle, but yet there are accounts of the same creature being sighted during the battle overlooking the bodies on the battlefield. 
Now, the Battle of Chickamauga was the second bloodiest battle. Only bloodiest one before the Civil War before that was Gettysburg. Yes. So, but this creature was side by both sides, Union and Confederate, walking over and examining the dead bodies. They describe it as a tall creature, long, lanky arms, long hair down to its waist, kind of like a woman. Okay. Some of the descriptions have it as a, with a large jaw with two protruding fangs from the bottom of the jaw, but the thing that's always constant in every description is its large, greenish, orangish eye glow. And it's like it's giving off its own light source. Yeah, that's interesting. Not all cryptids have that sort of phosphorescence to their eyes. No, I know. But now we also got to take another fact. Most of these, I mean, this thing's literally had caused two car wrecks that were documented by the police. Okay. So there's something out there. Now, me, like I said, I'm ex-military, so I try to think of logical explanations first before I go to what I want it to be. You know what I mean? Disprove it before you can prove it. Yeah, it's always so I, at this point, I'm willing to say at least 25 percent of the green eye sightings are deer, misidentified deer from someone being drunk or on some kind of stuff. Okay, and trying to drive while inebriated. Well, unfortunately, that's always something to uh, add into it. Yes. Yes, unfortunately, sad world we live in. That's all I can say about that. <laughs> they always have to factor in: was this person known to be a drinker or, or a user of some kind of, in, you know, drugs? Take that into account. If there's a car wreck, they're probably going to do a top screen. And you know you can go down to the local police departments and get your own copy of that. It don't matter if it's public records. Yes. Yeah, you can get an information release mm-hmm. from a local courthouse, I think yeah. it is. So yeah. uh, a little bit more so, about the description. Of you can get the green, top screen. Uh, of old greens mm-hmm. here. Uh, now, you said long hair down to its waist like a woman. Was the rest of its body covered in hair? or? That's where the descriptions kind of vary. Some people say, yes, it's hairy, kind of like pig, pig hairy on the body. And others say it's hairy, kind of like a, a, an ape. Okay. But the, the one thing they always saying is it had long hair from the head. You could tell the hair started at its head and it went down its back. So it's fair to say that uh, regardless of whether or not it's it's a very heuristic creature, it does have a long mane. Yes. Yes, that's perfect. Good. I'm actually going to steal that from my YouTube channel now. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free. Go right ahead. <laughs> uh, give us a minute. <laughs> Oh, I did on my live this morning. Oh, well, we appreciate that. So, uh, <laughs> by, all the, by all means, go ahead and continue. All right. Now, some of the other descriptions describe it as a floating head because, like I said, one of the, the uh, people say it was a soldier who lost whose body was destroyed by cannon fire, and it's just his head searching for the body. Yes. Uh, then explain how come it was seen during the Civil War. That's my question to them. How come this creature was seen during the war if it's a soldier who died in the war? Well, you see, that would be contradictory. Mm-hmm. Unless that legend had somehow been updated, like maybe it was a, a, supposed to be a soldier in the Revolutionary War, for instance, that got killed. And then they just updated yeah. it to be that. Sometimes stories are yeah. updated. Yeah. It all depends on the perspective of the storyteller. Right. And I understand that. But so far, I've found no accounts of anything of the Revolutionary War talked about in this area. And I've dug deep in the history archives. I've been to a special section of the library. You have to go. You can't check a book out. You can only read them while you're there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The reference section. So I dig deep because uh, one thing people don't understand about cryptozoology, you don't just go out into the woods. One, if you don't have experience in the woods, don't go alone. Well, yes. Two, you have to know the history and the folklore from the people who lived there and lived there before. That means the folk tales of the white people and the Native American people. They all go hand in hand. History, folklore, and cryptozoology all go hand in hand. 
Right, because typically everybody writes their own account of something like from a historical standpoint, and you've got to examine yeah. two or three perspectives to get a clear picture. Mm-hmm. That's true. But uh, Go ahead. All right. Now, one other story about Old Green Oz is that it was here long before the battle. Okay. Because uh, the Native Americans, the Chickamauga, if you translate from the Native Cherokee, it means river of death. Oh, okay. And they have tales of a creature who carried children away. And the creature they're describing, I can't remember what it was called in their tongue, but it, it, it matched the description of green eyes. We know there's legends going back all through Europe about cre- different creatures abducting children. Yeah. So. Yes, there are. But every story has a root in truth. I believe there's, yeah, there's a, a, germ, a small truth root in everything, yes. Yeah. So... Like I look at every, I try to look at every angle. So, what do you think that old green eyes is, or do you have a, a definitive <clears throat> answer for that? So far, I'm looking to the possibility of uh, it being a bipedal cryptic creature, like a, a Sasquatch or a Wolfman, Dogman, take your pick on that, or even a. Uh, they didn't have skinwalkers around here, but uh, according to all the historical Native American accounts, they had these things called crawlers that are very similar and just as vicious. I see. So if you don't care, and I believe, but on 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 crawlers. Well, I I just came across that term a few days ago, so I'm still researching. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's ever expanding. Cryptozoology. You're always learning about new creatures that people have heard of from stories, myths, and legends. Well, if a person uh, looks so, at just the human at human species, all the wide variations yeah. in human beings, that it would stand to reason there'd be a lot of variation yeah. in cryptids as well. Of course. I mean, just call, okay, like, like, let's take the Ames team, for example. They've already proven, in my opinion, there's multiple types of Sasquatch. Okay. Just right here in the Appalachian Americans. Yeah, they have. Uh, I mean, they have the uh, Midnight Whistler. They have the uh, Stoner's Giant. And these are very vastly different creatures, and they have the uh, Fire Ape. Okay. And these are, all three of these are Bigfoot-type creatures, but they all are vastly different, just like us. Well, I mean, it would stand to reason. I mean, one has... I mean, the fire ape has fox-colored hair, like fox-thread hair. Typical uh, Sasquatch has uh, either uh, brownish-blackish hair. Well, you know, if you wanted to draw a you know, comparison here, uh, the mm-hmm. Sasquatch from uh, the northwest compared to the skunk ape from the south, they mm-hmm. appear to be roughly the same creature, but they look radically different. Yeah, and there's something else that's wrong with sort of Sasquatch-type creatures. How come, okay, before white man came to this country, before our ancestors, you know, the English came over here, Every, just about every Native American tribe had some story of a Bigfoot-type creature in their folktales, in their campfire stories. Yes. Even all the way from California, all the way over here to our coast. I, and then it, let's expand that. Let's go all over the world. They have Bigfoot-type creatures all over the planet. This is true. I don't, I, and these people back then, before uh, technology got the way it is, they couldn't communicate that vast distance to tell people about this stuff. So how can all these cultures from all over the world be describing creatures so daggum similar? Well, as I said before, that a lot of times mm-hmm. when a certain society is uh, more technologically advanced, mm-hmm. they seem to discount the things that are more, mm-hmm. for lack of a better way to put it, earthy. It's like you mentioned the, yeah. the Native Americans, you know, the, the indigenous people had a very close tie to the land. So they they accepted everything. They They weren't inclined to rule something out just out of hand. If they had seen it, well, then, then they were cautious of it, or they interacted with it, or what have you. But they just accepted it as part of the part of the physical world. Whereas other cultures yes. might be inclined to just discount these things as as uh, 
mm-hmm. hallucinations or something along those lines. But yeah. please go ahead. I'm just saying that all I'm trying to say is the indigenous, the Aborigines, the Native Americans, the ancient Chinese, Japanese, they all have their own description of a Bigfoot type creature in a time when you weren't able to communicate vast distances like that. Right. And heck, a lot of Native American tribes over here were uh, didn't get along with each other, yet they had a similar type creature in most of their folklores. Well, that's that's definitely that to me just says that there's a possibility of something like that being out there. Because I've even had a, a minister agree with me that if we think we've discovered every creature on this planet that God has no other wonders for us, and we are sadly, hopelessly arrogant. Well, it, it, at best, it's a naive way of looking at the world, thinking you already know everything, and you've yeah. already found everything that could be found. So let's discuss And yet, we've the, got parts of our country that aren't even explored yet. This is true. Uh, Up we, in Alaska. Yes, we have uh, hundreds of millions of uh, acres of uh, untamed yeah. forest. I guarantee there's parts of the Appalachian Mountains that no one has touched. Yes, I, I agree completely. So uh, let's discuss some of the evidence that Okay. Like I said, my first hike out, uh, I found a footprint in the mud. Unfortunately, it was so close to a water source, I couldn't cast it. Because I tried to drain the water out with a sponge, and the water just seeped right back in through the bottom. Yeah. So, can't cast that, but I did have a picture of it. It's on my old phone, which is no longer in my possession, because I sold it for money at the Walmart. (laughs) (laughs) I should have backed it up first, but I'm sure I got it somewhere in one of my archives. One of these extra drives I have somewhere. I have found tree structure. I have found one tree structure that is literally about, I'd have to say, 10 foot tall, with poles probably about in diameter of two to three feet in diameter. And I don't know if anyone's going to be way off track in the woods with no signs of tire tracks, tractors, or any heavy equipment. They could move that by themselves. Right, and even if they could, I mean, the the question is, why would they in the middle of nowhere? Uh, You would think it would be too much effort for just, well, a prank and, I mean, if you're going to prank somebody, you're going to want it to where it's easily found. Right. Yeah, because then you, you, you get the reward of the prank. Yeah. Where I was, that ain't no, where I was when I found that. Again, this is in the battlefield because you have to go off trail to find a lot of the stuff I found. Okay. Which, easy for me because, heck, I know that park better than most of the rangers because I grew up around that park. My uncle used to work there for Pete's sake before he retired. Yeah. I'd say you would be <laughs> very familiar with it. I mean, I grew up here. <laughs> But, uh, so yeah, you have to go off trail to find some of it. I mean, some of it, everyone thinks when we think of a Bigfoot tree search, it's going to be this grand TP design or some crazy big design. It could be as simple as an archway or an X, like a tree obviously moved from point A to point B to make a simple design. Okay. Now, do you think these uh, are used for shelter or possibly trail markings of a sort? Okay. I think the archers, the archways and the X's are some type of markers. The TP like structures or the other type structures are more elaborate that obviously you can get into. Yes. I, I, I believe or some form some form of shelter or maybe even a storage like, hey, it's getting colder. Let's go up some of these nuts and fruits. Well, that would make sense, yes. Now do you I mean squirrels, they store food for the winter. Exactly. Most animals do and or come up with some yeah. plan to survive the winter. Now yeah. they either hibernate or store food. Do you have uh photographs of these on your uh channel? Not Oh, uh, I have them somewhere. I think they're on my uh, Facebook profile, on my Facebook group page. Okay, well. Which is the same name as my YouTube channel, Backwoods Cryptids. Okay, that's what's going to be my next question. How can people follow this and, and check out your evidence and everything? 
Oh yeah, I mean on my YouTube channel, I have as of today. I checked it before I before I called you earlier. Yes. Uh, one hundred and fifty-eight subscribers on there, and then I thought uh, when I got to hundred subscribers, I thought, okay, I'm getting this popular. I'm just gonna make a Facebook group page. Okay. And then that now it currently has sixty-nine subscribers on it. Well, sounds like you're growing. Yes, sir. And uh, I, 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 I admit, I, I had to for a start. I mean, you guys, you're a big time guy. So I, my <laughs> book, because y'all do these podcasts, you have producers. I'm just starting out, so I got to be a bit of a shameless self promoter. Well, obviously, there's there's nothing wrong with that. So you, you I mean you have to in order for people to hear what you have to say or or see what you have to show them, you have to get out in front of them. So yeah, by all means, shamelessly self promote and share. Let oh, I do. I mean. There. Yeah, I mean, like I got people at one of the local, uh, it's called Jed's, that's out there on Pigeon Mountain, which is the opposite direction from the battlefield from me. It's out in Lafette, Georgia. Yeah. Uh, they've had, I mean, they, even on the BFRO website, they have Bigfoot sightings on there up on Pigeon Mountain. So I'm up there so a good bit too. But the local market Jed's are going to let me put a flyer up in their store. The owner is advertising, hey, if you see anything odd, heard anything odd out in the woods, you can't rightly explain contact me let's talk well that sounds like they should now yeah as far as personal experience shifting gears here a little bit what are some of your personal experiences with cryptid well one time i was out camping with a group called minimal research and they they mostly just do sasquatch they don't work on any other cryptids whereas me i'm out there for any cryptid i can get wind of you know what i mean yeah but we was out camping on the area they, they'd rather me not give an exact location let's just say it's on a Part of the the this foothills of the Appalachia were close to us okay. where I'm at, and uh, I was with my fiance who my who was my girlfriend at the time. We're now engaged. Congratulations! And I just want to say my fiance Kelsey Knight has been very very supportive of me trying to get this out there and trying to make this something grand and big. Well, I mean that that's nice that supportive because otherwise it would be kind of a problem. Yes. So yes, I'm giving her a shout, and she's over here blushing right now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, fortunately, it's all audio, so she, you know, she doesn't have to be embarrassed. Yeah, but um, we was camping with them, and I, now, again, I'm ex-military, so I, I don't go in the woods without at least a good handgun and a pocket knife, you know, or a good knife on me. And at the time, I didn't have a rifle saw or a shotgun, so I took my crossbow with me, right. looking like Daryl Dixon from The Walking Dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, close. But uh, right. I, what happened was something, shadowy figure came behind the tent, I grab my handgun, and I go out there, and by the time I get out there, literally just within a moment, as whatever it was is gone, and there are, you can see where something with some big feet had walked right behind my tent. So so you had the evidence there. It okay. came into the camp and checked us out, yeah. And unfortunately, my phone was dead. I didn't have a, one of those little portable chargers then. I took care of that right quick. <laughs> oh, no doubt. You After a second time it happened. Yeah, you wouldn't want that. To no, that was just problem. a class. I think they technically call that a class B sighting or a class C because we didn't actually see the creature itself. Yes. So it cannot be considered a class A sighting. Now, we did have a class A sighting down in Helen, Georgia. All right. We was down, you know, just camping, just me and her. It was supposed to be another mammal research group, but everyone else had to work. So it was just me and my fiance. <laughs> and it snowed. Oh, no. I couldn't get the campfire going to save my soul. Mm-hmm. My within moments, my tent, my little two-person tent, looked like an igloo. <laughs> yeah, that that makes for a cold night. Yeah, luckily, uh, it was a small tent that held in the body heat real good. But we made it through that night, and I went and got me some gas and some of that sterno stuff. I put that sterno stuff on the top of the logs, spread it out there, and lit that 
and we kept that thing going. Me thinking the way I do, uh, we tell an old stories passed on from you know parent to children, old about stories about people we knew, right? Yes. So I'm thinking, what if Bigfoot does the same thing? Talking about the Cherokee he used to have the area. So I said to play not war drums, but Cherokee, you know, just old party music. Yes. Over my speakers in my truck, and I crank that volume up as loud as it will go. Uh, we had a few little sounds in the night, but we couldn't really get eyes on anything. So I went on to bed after I left out some. Uh, we had steak and sh- for dinner. It was s'mores for dessert. Classic camping food, you know? Yeah. So I left out some graham crackers, some chocolate, some, you know, uh, marshmallows, and some of the steak that we didn't get eat because, well, we got full. <laughs> right, and it's kind of hard to uh, preserve that stuff without a refrigerator out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I got up the next morning, and before well, I even cooked breakfast, I go check where I left it, you know, hoping it would take the gift, right? Yes. Only thing taken off the whole tray was the chocolate. Interesting. Now, if that had been some other lower intelligent creature, it would have ate the steak. It would have ate the graham crackers and marshmallows, too. Probably. Why don't you yes. take the chocolate? So apparently, big fans. I know for a fact that raccoons will have took the marshmallows because I've watched raccoons take marshmallows. Mm. So why just the chocolate? To me, that shows a sign of intelligence. Something intelligent came into the, where I left it. So now, did you find any prints or anything at that encounter? No, because the ground was still frozen solid. I see. So I go cook breakfast, and I'm cooking breakfast. Well, again, it's just me and Kelsey up there. And she all of a sudden, she's looking up the ridge and goes, Honey, is that what we think we're looking for? I, was, I couldn't make this up in a million years. You give me 20 tries a lifetime. I couldn't make this up. I look up, and there's a Bigfoot watching me cook breakfast. Maybe he was waiting for his serving. And me, I'm in shock at this point because I'm finally seeing one in person for the first time. Yes. And me being me, I was like, hey, come on down. We'll fix you a plate. <laughs> it responded by grunting and shaking. It said no. That's interesting. I kid you not. So that to me, was, okay, they know English. They understand human speech. So, and I have to ask, a lot, a lot of people have different reactions when they sight with these creatures, everything ranging from just peaceful to terrifying. What was your thoughts, what were your feelings when you, you saw this? My first thought was, okay, this is awesome. My second thought was, okay, this thing better not come near Kelsey or I'm going to drop him. Yeah. Because at this point, I finally had a, uh, a shotgun. Yes. And I had it loaded because... In that area, I wasn't worried about the Sasquatch. I was worried about the bears and the mountain lions, okay? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, there are a, a, a lot of other wild animals in the forest that can hurt you very badly or kill you. Yeah. So, I'm not, I mean, I'm not one of these guys that have to prove Sasquatch real by killing one. No, I carry the weapons to protect myself, that people around me, from things that we know of that can kill us, okay? <laughs> right, yes. But now this creature itself, was it being aggressive? Did you feel threatened? No, it was just watching us. But um, you've heard about the thing called infrasound, right? Yes. Well, it was zapping us because I was having bad headaches since early that morning. She woke up. She started having bad headaches. And it wasn't until we got packed up and started moving away from the area, the headaches started you know, dissipating, going away. And we had taken Advil, Tylenol. So, I forget what the other one was, but it's safe to take with those. So now, anyway, you might want to take. So we're leaving the campsite and we hear a whoop. Yes. I was going to say, you might want to take a second to explain to listeners what infrasound is. Okay. I'm about to. Infrasound uh, is common with even some animals that we know of can do this. Infrasound is an audible sound. You can't, I don't know why they call it a sound, but you can't hear it. But it puts a feeling of fear inside you or it can cause you health, you know, like physical issues like headaches, nausea, uh, dizziness. 
So it's, but it's not. Uh, lions do this. African lions do this. But it's not within the range that humans normally hear with their ears. Correct. So you say this feeling dissipated as you got farther away from the campground. Yes, and then as soon uh, we weren't even all on the main road yet. We we're still on the little back dirt road, you know. Yes. Headaches are gone. All of a sudden, we hear a whoop back in the direction of the campsite, echoing through the valley. That's interesting. Uh, was it repeated? It shocked it me so bad. I literally stopped my truck, got out of my truck, and looked back toward where we just were. Yes. And I think it was that one that was watching us cook breakfast saying, hey, it's all clear. Go down and see if he left any other food. You know, it's a distinct possibility. I mean, it could, you know, be a sort of scout. Yeah. And, uh, and heck, I mean, remember the day I, while I was cooking for breakfast, it was scrambled eggs and bacon yeah. <laughs> with coffee. Got to have my anti-murdery juice. <laughs> so now, have you shared that story with other people who've been in the area, and, and, and have they uh, had similar encounters? Well, unfortunately, I didn't have time to talk to people in that area because I had to go back for work the yes. next day. Uh-huh. But I told a few of my buddies and uh, that I know around here that's into this stuff, and they find it very interesting, but nothing ever came out because we were all supposed to go back in a big group because, again, I told the minimal folks about it. We were all supposed to go back down there in a big group at that same campsite. Nothing's ever came of it, and that was, what, two years ago now? And uh, so... Well, there's a possibility that you would never have the sighting if there was a larger group of campers. I agree with that. Because uh, every now and then, we well, couldn't do it this year because there's an issue where we wanted to go camping this time. They wanted too much money, and we didn't have the... No one wanted to pay that much to camp out. I see. But we have this thing called Squatch Out. I mean, I've told you about it before already. Uh, it got bigger and bigger as the time progressed. It would have been the third one in a row. But uh, every time we go on these large, large groups, the larger groups, the less uh, things we have encounters going on. We hear the noises, but we don't see anything. It's like they start moving away from us. Well, I mean, it stand to reason. If you want to consider yeah. a cryptid is along the lines of a wild animal, they have much better senses, so they have better hearing. So a large group of noisy humans are, you know, most likely going to run them off. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, that's why I'm starting. That's why I'm trying to start my own group on back with cryptids. Yes. Or you have certain sites we camp out at. Not as a group, but like, okay, you're at point A, you're at point B, you're at point C, here's the radio, here's your radio. We communicate that way and we're scattered out. Well, that would that would eliminate the one large knot of noisy people. Yes, it would. And it would guarantee we have more chance of refining something if we span out through an area. Right. So now, what other experiences, encounters have you had? Well, we've had one going on at my house. I've always just shocked up to my over, you know, me being so into cryptozoology, I've always shocked up to my imagination trying to play tricks on me because I want something to happen in my property. Okay. Because I live so far out in the woods. Because I live out in the woods. But then my fiance moves in, and she's hearing it too. I'm like, wait a minute. She's never been into this stuff that much. Right. So, but, and so she had me. So Now you have a backup. So And uh, there attention. are, yeah. Yeah, and we and we found claw marks on my window screen where it's only clawed at the window. And, I mean, it's too up high for any bear or anything like that. So, and then she saw something ducking the woods behind the house to, uh, beside the barn. So how did she describe that? So I go out there, and I don't see nothing. Uh, she described it as a bipedal. She 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 promises it was a bipedal up on two legs. Okay. But she said it looked kind of like a wolf-type creature. I see. Which... Again, that goes in the realm of, you know, wolf man or dog man. Yes. Which those things are known to be nosy and, frankly, very not polite when it comes to women. Well, I would stand to reason, yeah. And, I was nice, and that's the best way I can put it with keeping it PG. <laughs> so, uh... Because I, well, I want to try to keep it PG as I, much as I can. 
Well, understood. And uh, so does this make you feel threatened living on your own property? Not threatened because, again, I'm, I'm a vet. I got an AR-15, excuse me, AR-10, uh, 9mm, and a 45. So anything from this property is causing trouble. I don't want to hurt the thing if possible. I just want to, you know, scare it away from the area because we also have kids down the road. I see. So but if it gets to where it's threatening lives of people, I will take action to that. In the meantime, we're just going to keep investigating, see what kind of evidence I can come up with. Maybe get a good sighting, good picture, recording either on the thermal, night vision, or just regular camera. Yes. Well, the reason and, I uh, ask uh, the question about feeling threatened is that uh, there's there's different reports. Different mm -hmm. people have seen similar creatures, as I said before, have uh, reported mm -hmm. different types of, of feelings, everything from just peace to apprehension. And so I always like to clarify that because you know, listeners yeah. want to know if it was something that you felt threatened being in your own home. I look at the way this way, and I'm going to get a little religious on you again here. Okay. When it's my time to go, it's my time to go. I don't care if it's something as subtle as a cold yes. or some big old uh, Sasquatch beat me to death. When it's my time to go, God's going to call me home. Okay. I know where I'm going. When it's my time, I'm going straight up. So so you're not uh, So really I don't I see no reason to be afraid. About the end result, but... Uh... So, no. So I guess... Now, I am concerned for my fiancé's safety, though, at that point, because I'm at work a lot. This thing usually comes out at night, and I'm usually home at night. Yes. Has it been so, really aggressive, or are you just seeing signs? It's just been, like, tapping on the window and howling, is all, and as all we've noticed, and clawing at the side of the house. Have you managed to get any footprints for this creature? No, because uh, I, it's real grassy where I'm at, so it's kind of hard to find them. I see. And it's dark as crap out here because we have no. We have one streetlight at the end of the road next to a church. Oh, okay. I'm way out in the boonies. We're so far out that the cell phones don't normally work. The only reason it's working right now is I'm using Google Voice. <laughs> I see. To call you. This is my Google phone number. I see. Regular cell phone numbers don't work out here. Well, yeah, you'll, you'll notice that, especially in an area that has several hills coming together. It's like the, the signal gets lost for cell phones. And uh, yeah. Wi-Fi typically isn't the best out in those areas either. Yeah, well, we got lucky. Comcast reached out here when I was in my teens. I see. So we got them. They, they've they been pretty good. So, so far, we've we've discussed your interaction with Sasquatch and your interaction with what mm -hmm. sounds like a, a dog man. So have you had yes, any sir. other encounters? Uh, one, uh, I was hoping would bear some fruit, but it didn't because I couldn't find the evidence of it. I had someone come up to me while I was working at Roper. I said, hey, uh, you're into this cryptid stuff, right? I go, yeah. Maybe you can help my grandpa because something's attacking his chickens and the blood's been completely drained on him. We're finding weird footprints. I'm like, you got a picture of the print. Uh, he goes, yeah, but it was a few months ago. I said, don't matter. He showed me the print. It looked like a canine-style print because, see, canine prints are easy to tell from big cat prints. Okay. All cats, whether it be your little big house cat or your big, big cats all the way up to mountain lions and African lions even. Yes. They tuck their claws in. You cannot see their claws in their prints. Okay, yes. Canine-type creatures, canine creatures, wolves, coyotes, dogs, all that, their claws are obviously there. You can see the claws in the print. Yes. So he showed me this five-toed print. With, you can see the claws in it, so I, that's why I said it's canine. And first that popped to my head was chupacabra. Well, yes. I mean, now you mentioned animals uh, being killed and the blood drained. That is one of the things you go to. Yeah. And there have been rare sightings of chupacabras reported all the way from Texas to Georgia, all the way up to your neck, up there in Kentucky. Yes. I mean, they're, they're very widespread, actually. Most people think of, mm -hmm. well, you know, that's only in Mexico or in Texas like that. But but no. Yeah, but 
and my theory of why they migrate like that is the climate change. Okay. So th- if you look at history of an animal in the kingdom, animals migrate when the weather changes. To the, like, say it goes from a here's a radical example. Say it goes from being a tropical area to a desert area. Animals going to go to the next place that's tropical because well, yes. that's what they come. That's where they survive. That's where they thrive. So they're going to follow the weather that suits them. Yeah, and, and most predators. If you look at those mm-hmm. migratory patterns of of herbivore because. Uh, and they move yep. based on, you know, mm-hmm. growing seasons and things of that nature. And a good example for me here locally is armadillos. Okay. Growing up, I had never seen an armadillo in, my, uh, in this part of Georgia. All right. I come back from the military, I start seeing armadillos. Interesting. And I've noticed the plants, are, they have some plants that are native, for, you know, further out to the other side of Mississippi that are starting to grow here. Mm-hmm. And it's all just little subtle changes that can make a big difference in the migratory patterns of an animal. Right, because... Because we have a tendency to control our food source rather than chase it. So uh, mm-hmm. if a certain plant would start uh, growing better in one area than another, of course, the things that feed off that plant would follow that. Uh, mm-hmm. good, and their prayers are going to follow their food. Right. good example was uh, I'd spoken recently to uh, a person in the uh, Department of Wildlife in, in Kentucky. He was talking about black bears during at the mm-hmm. early 1900s when there was so much deforestation going down. It, it wrecked the hardwood forest in Kentucky, and, and most of these bears moved to West Virginia. Well, after, mm-hmm. after people started being more responsible, conservation, things like that, and the hardwood forest started growing back, the bears came back to Kentucky. There you go. That's a good local example for you right there. Exactly, yes. So they will follow their habitat. Mm-hmm. Which might actually be an so I'm thinking that explain why you something have. has brought these chupacabra all the way from you know Central America where they started out at yes and they just spread to up north into Texas and they started spreading out toward the south well that's possible and it could just be nothing too it could be just opportunity but uh, yeah like when they or were. it could be a different like subspecies of chupacabra like you know like how you have uh, different races of people it could be a different which it could be like a different species of chupacabra that's possible. I mean, who's to say there's, I mean, there's uh, multiple species of spiders, wolves, uh, there's multiple species of bear. Right. Bigfoot. Who's to say there's not multiple species of other cryptids? Well, I think we, we have a tendency to really only think of something that in terms of our own specific knowledge. It's like uh, most people that don't study mm-hmm. bears wouldn't know the major variation in different species bear. Exactly. So, what other things have you experienced? Well, I went out to this place and I saw one of these, these chickens he was talking about because it happened again. I didn't find no prints, no tracks, nothing, unfortunately. Okay. I didn't even find no blood. I even cut the chicken open to see if there's any blood in the body. I didn't even find no blood in the body of this chicken. That is interesting. It was very unusual. It was completely ensanguinated. Well, you know, most wild animals will lap up blood and everything, but actually drink blood is, is something entirely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I mean, anytime we go, most predator kills, bear kills, big cat kills, there's going to be blood. Right. Still in the body because they couldn't get it all out. Yeah. This thing was completely ensanguinated. No blood. In, I even cut the heart open. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, do you have any evidence of that on your YouTube channel? No, because that's before I started my YouTube channel. Oh, I see. So, let's, <laughs> yeah. let's shift gears here a little bit to the YouTube channel. Uh, now, okay. you're using this to basically record your research into crypto. So, uh, it, yes, my plan is uh, to basically all my research, all my investigation, every little piece from point A to point B to a final episode. It'll be uh, not a final episode but for the whole show, but for the, this to a creature seat. 
What is let's look at uh, all these shows on TV for a moment that do cryptid investigations. They spend one episode per creature. How can you dig deep on a creature if you only spend that uh, short amount of time on it? You can't. So instead of doing just one episode per creature, I do one creature per season. I see. So now, and every now and then I'll have little extras thrown in, like going out with friends or other cryptozoologists. Yeah. Like uh, Michael James, my buddy from Forest Monsters. Okay. I'll come on there and just have a little live talk about upcoming stuff and stuff I'm trying to get done. You know, but my point is it all relates to the whole of the show. So my goal with the show is to dig deep on every creature I investigate thoroughly. I mean, go as far back in the history books as I can, researching it, the folklore from Native Americans as I can, even the mound builders who were here before the Cherokee. So it seemed to be a sound way of doing it, give people as much information exactly. as possible. Exactly. That way we can get to different answers of what this is. Yes. Even if it, even if, like I said, I, I've already talked up at least 25% of the Green Eye sightings to misidentified deer. But that still leaves 75% unaccounted for. Right. So what's that 75%? That's my next thing to investigate. What's causing the other 75% of those sightings? Now, do you offer people any way? And until I can get to 100% and explain every percentage of sightings, yes. I won't keep going with green eyes. Well, I mean, it would stand to be a reason that uh, you'd want to give as much information as possible about it. Bingo. So I mean, I've had my uh, I've had one witness on my show who saw Green Eyes himself. Yes. I have another guy lined up. If he can ever get the time, he's going to come on the show because right now Green Eyes is known for two locations in the battlefield: the Wilder Tower Monument okay. and Snodgrass Hill. Now that's at two complete opposite ends of the park. Yes, this man who I'm supposed to be interviewing if he ever gets time was at neither location yet. He still saw Green Eyes. That gives me a way of triangulating the sightings. All the sightings from historical the ones that we hear read about or or hear about on uh, podcasts such as yours. Yes. And if I mark them all on a map, I can get a general area of search on just the park instead of looking for the whole park. Right. I mean, it would help focus your search. and narrow down my search grid. Yes. Exactly. So after doing this, because my research, goal is to narrow down that search area. Hmm? I was going to say after doing this much research, have you formulated any kind of opinion so far? So far, I'm under the conception it is a cryptid creature. Okay. Uh, it was there before the Civil War because, again, I, I said it had been seen during the war. And it was a physical creature they described. So, you, as you said, physical. I'm creature. thinking possibly a dog man, possibly a Bigfoot, or some variant of a skinwalker. I see. So now let's let's talk a little bit about the last one. What What is your qualification? What's your definition of a skinwalker? A skinwalker is a... As a cannibalistic creature, it eats with a predator. Okay. And a skinwalker can take can shape shift. That's where people usually lose me on this one. Okay. To appear as a person or as an animal. I see. Now, uh, I mean, it's like in the movies where uh, they can shift into a wolf or something. That's it. If you go back to the Navajo legends of shape, you know, of skinwalkers, there's basically an, an evil, an evil uh, person of the tribe who is a witch, I see. who literally murdered. And cannibalized one of their own family. Oh, okay, I see. So, given that, that. And now there is a story, an old story. I hadn't found anyone to tell it to me. The one who told it to me died years ago because I was still a child. Okay. That's I, 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 when I was learning about first hearing about green eyes and so forth. This old man I used to know told me the story of a woman who, during the Civil War, would lure in soldiers from both sides, and it was a bad winter, so her, her husband was gone fighting. So she would cannibalize the troops. Uh, and she lived in the battlefield. I see. 
which that would give the criteria for a skinwalker right there. Because she was there before the battle, creature was seen during the battle. Unaccounted for, no one knows what happened to him from both sides. Yes. So that, that leaves that one as a possibility for a skinwalker to be loose in the battlefield. Yes, there would be one explanation. Mm-hmm. So which one do you And the reason I say Sasquatch is, again, I have not, I'm not 100% leaning toward either one yet. I see. But given the variant of descriptions that people have said when they synchronize, I'm leaning toward it being the skinwalker because there's other descriptions where it's described as a man wearing a coat. And there can be no wind, but yet the coat looks like it's blowing in the breeze. I see. So, I mean, heck, even that, it's getting to the point now that even the park personnel are not allowed to talk about it or they could lose their job. You know, that's, that's, which I find interesting. That's kind of interesting. Yes, it is, because uh, normally they don't clamp down on something they don't believe isn't real. Exactly. My uncle, when he worked there, he wasn't allowed to talk to me about the stuff like that. It was, he, he, he didn't want to lose his job. I've had park managers say, hey, we can't talk about this, man. Oh, well, I mean, that would stand. Yeah, that, that's understandable. Yeah. So uh, have you had any other experiences that you'd like to share with us today? I don't know. Those are the only top three I can think of at the moment. Uh-huh. The Chupacabra investigation, the actual sighting of a Bigfoot, which is still awe-inspiring in my opinion. Oh, it would have to be. Because, yeah, because, I mean, all my life I believed in this stuff, and now I'm looking at one. And it was after that so when I decided to get those little battery pack chargers you hook your phone up to. Yes. Because <laughs> my phone was dead, and I'm up there trying to take a picture with a dead phone. Well, now, I, I usually ask my guests uh, a couple of questions. I ask them, okay. uh, what would you say to people who just don't believe any of this? They think that, what would you say to people who just thought everyone that was interested in cryptids were just kooky or that they were delusional, uh, what would you say to them? I'd tell them, hey, that's your opinion. That's your right to believe that. Mm-hmm. However, I don't stomp on your beliefs. Please don't stomp on mine. Because if you'll think, we have animals in this country that were once cryptic creatures. Yes. We have animals all over the world that were once cryptic creatures. So people like me took the time to investigate, study, and then some big wig in a science lab got all the credit for it. Well, <laughs> yes, it, it is typically the person in the field that uh, that does stuff. And uh, then someone in authority steps over. But uh, so now the other end of that question is this. What kind of advice or caution or encouragement could you offer to people that do believe? Don't give up on your beliefs. Never, if someone challenges you, you challenge them right back with science facts they can't deny. Like I do. All right. uh, if you want to investigate these things, one, if you have no, you see, I grew up out in the woods, so the woods are my back door, my home. Yes, but if you don't have a lot of experience in the woods, then don't go alone. Be prepared. Always carry a basic medical kit. And I, if you're in the woods, I don't care where you are, carry a snake bite kit. Never go out in the woods without a good knife. Mm-hmm. Have some uh, cell phone and some other means of communication. Let someone know where you're going, how long you're going to be gone, when you should be back. That way they know if you're not back by then, oh, something's wrong. Send out some search. Send out some help. Right, and probably a compass because it's easy to get turned around when you get under the trees. Yeah, I was getting there. I was getting there. The other spies, <laughs> because the knife, that's the go-to. That's right. the go-to because no self-respecting woodsman would go in the woods without a knife. Even amateur hikers carry a uh, knife. Right. But other equipment you definitely want to carry with you, a flare gun. Yeah, or some other means of signaling for help if you're lost. Yes. Like one of those signal mirrors. Yes. If, you, if you're fortunate to afford it, get a GPS, one of those satellite GPSs. Hmm. They're pricey, but they can save your life. Right. We'll see. Uh, like I said, carry a compass. Yes. The first day. Uh, also carry enough food to last. Like, 
I recommend getting at least two of those military-style MREs. Yes. That way you have some food if you get lost out there longer than you planned on being. That's just your backup. You don't have to eat them unless you're dying of starvation. <laughs> right, yes. But but basically, just be prepared when you go out of hunt and be careful. Is that correct? Yeah. Correct. Know your area. Secondly, know your area. Uh, map it out. Know good maps of it. If you have to, just go on Google Earth and print out a satellite image of the area so you can see what's around you that you can identify. People will be like, hey, you see where it says that this road's right here and this creek's right here? I'll be camped right here. Right. Let people know your destination. Yes. Well, I want to thank you for taking time to be on the podcast, and I'm sure my listeners will enjoy you, your information and everything. And if you don't care, tell me again, what's the best way to find you? Oh, I'm on Facebook. You can reach me on there under my name, Greg Smith. Just look for the hillbilly with the chest uh, gun going across his chest with the ammo going across his chest like the old Western days. Uh, you can find me on my YouTube channel, yes. Backwoods Cryptids, and there's also my Facebook group under the same name. Uh, I'm also working on saying this phone line I'm, I'm using right now up as a phone way to contact me by phone if they need me. And I'm working on getting another email address just for Backwoods Cryptids. Well, that would so that way I'll have all ways of communication covered social media, email, and its own phone number. Well, that sounds like a good solid plan there. You get that set up. and But for right now, people can contact you through your Facebook page or through the YouTube channel, correct? Correct. And, I'll, I mean, if they want to have a private conversation, just have a, they can just message me, and I'll send them this phone number right here that I'm talking to you on, and they can talk to me that way. Or we can just talk through the email, my email, Greg Smith. 00724 at gmail.com. That's the one I'm using right now. I see. Just uh, in the subject line, uh, just give me a brief idea of why you're contacting me so I don't just blow it off with spam. I get a lot of spam messages on there. Well, Greg, thanks a lot for being on the podcast. We appreciate it and look forward to talking to you again soon when you get some more information. Oh, I'll definitely. If I find anything of interest, I'll contact lady contact me. Like, hey, found this. Don't know if y'all want on your show, but here it is. <laughs> Well, we appreciate that. Yes. I'm just old hillbilly having fun. <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> so uh, you have a wonderful evening, and we'll talk to you again soon. This is Charles Romans, and on behalf of myself and our guests, thank you for joining us on this walk through the shadows of legend. If you like what you heard, please follow us and visit our website at shadowsoflegend.com and support our Patreon page to help keep the content flowing. And if you would like to be a guest and share your own brush with a stranger paranormal, don't hesitate to email us and include a contact number. The strange and surreal, the normal and the paranormal are all aspects of the world in which we live. As you reflect upon the stories we have shared, keep in mind that the people sharing these stories are actual, real people just like us. Were the stories shared compelling enough to be given credibility, or should they be relegated to the deeper part of the shadow? But when determining this, it might be a good idea to keep an open mind, because when we look around, we might discover that our own world is less brightly lit than we once thought. Until next time, I'll be waiting for you in the shadows of legend.